This is a We podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. There is always a constant churn of old restaurants closing down and new ones taking their place. That said, there are those that last the test of time and navigate the industry for decades. Today on the show, we speak to Australian chef, author and restauranter David Thompson to get a better sense for the business of F&B and how he's navigated the industry as well as a uh, a deep dive into his focus on Thai cuisine. David, welcome to the show. Can you hear me loud and clear? I can hear you loud and clear. Um, David, let's start with the the introduction. You wear many hats or you've had worn many hats in the past. Uh, chef, author, uh, television presenter, restauranter. Uh, today, um, what best describes you? I'm an old man, I think. Uh, <laughs> the best way to describe me. I've, as you said, I've worn many hats and those hats have taken their time. They're tall. Um, I, I, uh, I was interested in, uh, how may I say it? I um, have been in the industry for a long time, but I think the reason why I've survived it or rather stayed in it is because I, I've managed to, well, I, I love what I do. Um, I've always derived great satisfaction from cooking and in particular Thai food. And so for me, um, was just, it, 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 it seems to have taken some time and many years to, uh, that I've been in the industry. Uh, it, it seems a very, very short time to me. <laughs> um, you did something quite interesting. Um, you opened a restaurant in London in 2001, if I believe, if I got that correct. And nine years later, you closed it down and you moved over to Bangkok and started a restaurant there. Talk us through a little bit of, I, I guess, the reasoning and the rationale behind that move and uh, the journey uh, to building a restaurant over in Bangkok. Well, I um, was in London uh, working with Christina Ong and uh, we'd opened up a restaurant there in one of her hotels. And then the opportunity to, uh, arose to do the same in Bangkok and um, it was like being called home to the Vatican, really. Uh, in that um, I, cooking in Bangkok, cooking Thai food and cooking it in Bangkok was for me the most thrilling prospect of all. I, I dipped in Bangkok for a while um, and I knew Bangkok. However, I hadn't worked in it for a very long time. So um, when I came back in 2009, I think it was, uh, I was a bit green, but excited. And um, we opened a small little restaurant called Nam. And... Aside, Nam, uh, in 2015, you started a restaurant in Singapore called Long Jim. And uh, I think there are three establishments of that now. It's sure for hanging around. Um, to give us a sense, I guess, of the uh, the establishments that you have today, right? How many restaurants are you running? Uh, where are they based as of today? You've got uh, some in Australia, some in Southeast Asia. I have. I've got um, two in Bangkok. I have one in Hong Kong. With two outlets, I have one in Sydney, one in Perth, uh, and what else? Oh, one in Saudi Arabia. We're looking at um, certainly in London. Talk to us a little bit, I guess, of when this love affair with Thai food began. Because you're Australian, you moved to London, if I'm not mistaken, and then now you're in Bangkok. Where did this love for Thai food start? I first went to Thailand in 1986, uh, and when I landed there, I, I, I felt so much at ease. I fell in love with the country. 
And it wasn't the food at first, not at all. Um, I stomached the food, but, uh, but uh, I didn't know much about it. But it was the country. It's, uh, it's unpredictability that it thrilled me, excited me. I, I'm still in a thrall in many ways. Um, and from there, uh, as a cook, I, I, I met this old woman through a friend of mine, my partner, and uh, she cooked with the most elegant skill, inherited almost, uh, where there was such elegance and, and, and um, deft skill that I was entranced. And I, I, I had some spare time, so I um, started to learn from her and tried to suck as much information as I could at the time. Uh, and, and it went from there. Was it difficult, David, to sell this idea that an Australian could cook Thai food that would be as authentic as Thai food in Thailand? I, I never thought about that, really. Uh, all I tried to do was, in Italy, um, understand as much as I could. This first stumbling steps of trying to cook Thai food was, of course, impossible and unlikely and improbable. Um, but... After 30 years uh, of cooking Thai food, I've picked up a few things here or there. Uh, I don't, have I said, I, I, as a cook, I just try to be as faithful as I can to a cuisine that I'm in love with, uh, that I find one of the world's great cuisines. Uh, and it's offered me endless pleasure, endless satisfaction, endless frustration, uh, and hopefully some uh, interesting meals for customers. Now, you mentioned earlier that it, what's a part of what's gotten you through this is one, your team, but two, also the passion that you have for for food, for, for cooking. Uh, now there is this little bit of, uh, you have to balance, right? Or if you want to be able to run a restaurant well and uh, have it sustainably, it needs to be a good business as well. So how do you balance Absolutely. between being the chef, the cook in the kitchen versus ensuring that your restaurants last from a business perspective? Uh, I've got good business managers. I'm a hopeless businessman, really. <laughs> um, I can do it, but, but to be honest, I'd rather be cooking. Um, but the, you were quite right. A business a restaurant has two two aspects, or two yeah, two aspects to it that must work. Uh, it's like walking; you need two legs, uh, and one is a business side, and you can't walk without having a sustainable business. But then, if you've got nothing to offer, there's no point in walking either. So both sides need to, to, to be in harmony with each other or at least work together to walk. Now, you mentioned that it, your business partners have been keen on the business side of things. Uh, the one thing that we've seen from business history is that uh, sometimes the, the, the artist or the, the, the one creating the product can, uh, if they're not aware of what's going on the business side, can sometimes lose control of the business in the longer term. How, what's the relationship like between you and your partners to ensure that, you know, everything remains on the up and up? Uh, usually pretty good. Sometimes it becomes fraught. Um, sometimes it's because of my actions, sometimes because of theirs. It, it is a bit like a marriage, but we've been doing it now for 12 years. Uh, and so consequently, um, uh, we've learned to live with each other and more importantly, to walk with each other. I think that's a really important lesson because oftentimes the business and the cooking side of a F&B business can not see eye to eye, but it's important that they do so. What have been some of the ways that you two have, or you have developed your relationships and made the relationship work? Uh, some things that maybe other restauranters can learn. 
Well, you can't deny facts. Unfortunately, um, when it comes to money and uh, uh, the operation of a business, the fiscal side, um, it is there and bare fact. The cooking side is far more uh, valuable, whereas the figures side is down there in front of you in a spreadsheet. And with a little bit of mouse, you can read it and you can understand it and that you you can see what will happen, the projections that what will happen if certain good things continue or what will happen if certain bad practices continue. So it, ultimately it's about recognising the importance of the business side uh, while being true, I guess, to uh, what you want to do as well and finding a little bit of a balance in between that. Um, David, we've got to go uh, into a few messages. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit further about some of the challenges in the F&B industry and how you've navigated that. Uh, folks, I've been speaking with Australian chef, author and restauranter David Thompson and we'll be back in just a bit here on Open for Business on BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Building Future Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by BossBolle.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanison, and this morning on the show, I've been speaking with Australian chef, author, and restauranter David Thompson to get a better sense of the F&B business and uh, how he's managed to navigate it over the last few decades. David, earlier we we wrapped up the earlier session by talking about the importance of that partnership between the business side and the chef side, the kitchen side, because one can't move without the other. Like you mentioned earlier, it's like walking. You need both feet there. So that's one key area that's often a challenge that can lead to disputes and restaurants closing down. Uh, another thing uh, over the longer term is, I guess, staying relevant uh, in the industry. Talk to us about your thoughts around the F&B industry and staying relevant in order to keep uh, customers coming in. Um, I think a different point of view. I've always tried to be faithful to the cuisine that, that, that I've been cooking. And so that to me has been the most important thing to maintain. Um, and by doing my best, I hope therefore the customers can, will come in and appreciate that. Uh, and that served me pretty well so far. So I, I, don't, I don't follow the foibles and follies of fashion. I try to be limited uh, uh, to my quest to understanding Thai food and cooking it properly. Now, one one of the the key things that have come up over the last few years is the rise of a food delivery, um, and this especially became a thing during the pandemic, or at least it was uh, accelerated during mm -hmm. that time. How have you seen this in change the landscape of F and B, uh, whether in respect to your own business or what you've seen around you? Uh, we tried to do um, uh, a takeaway and so on during during COVID itself. I think um, some of the restaurants were quite successful of it, was it rather? Um, but the upmarket restaurants struggled a bit trying to to maintain the quality and deliver at a, a, a competitive price. Uh, and we realised that it was impossible for the upmarkets 
um, restaurants to really succeed in doing so. Uh, I would have once disdained doing home delivery, I, I, I confess, until I realised I like home delivery too. <laughs> and, uh, uh, <laughs> and I realised it couldn't be quite, quite a, a um, precious hypocrite uh, disdaining it and yet also ordering it. And so we were, in some of our restaurants, we still do still home delivery. Um, and I think if it can be done well, um, it's not to be stiffed at um, for two reasons. A, it's providing service, and B, uh, it's providing a revenue stream. A, a lot of restaurants balk at the revenue sharing fees that come from that, you know, the the 20 to 30% depending on it. Um, but one school of thought is that, you know, for these orders, it's an additional revenue stream that's not constrained by the physical space that you have in your restaurant. Uh, what are your views on that? Correct. Um we try to negotiate our fees down to something a bit more manageable. And um, again, it did, we see there was additional orders. Now, now when it was in, during COVID, that was a different matter. Because mm. often there were the only um, orders coming in. But when you've got other restaurants, when you've got a restaurant open and people in it, um, the takeaway orders are additional. And so if the restaurant is running well, those orders, despite their fees, add to the profit. So it's a, it's a value-added uh, income stream, as you uh, mentioned earlier. Correct. Um, one big thing, uh, if you could just give us a sense for the scale of the restaurants and the financial health of them. Uh, I know you may not want to get into the finer details of the revenues, but could you give us a sense in terms of um, yeah, whether it's seven, eight-figure businesses or less than that, what can you tell us about the financial health and revenue generation of the restaurant business, of your restaurant businesses? Oh, gosh, it's hard um, <laughs> in that um, it always seems to be on a knife's edge. We've, we have several restaurants and we seem to go through quietness in each one at different times, one following the other. Luckily, uh, I, I think the thing that COVID taught us was crises aren't as bad as, as you see. Um, having all our restaurants being knocked around during COVID and we survived, um, we realised that um, crises often aren't as final or as dangerous as they appear to be initially. And it's your reaction to how to handle them. That's the best thing. Financially, um, most restaurants survive. Um, they Very few restaurants flourish and are profitable. They survive. So if you're going into the business, don't expect to make a huge amount of money. Um, you need to go into the business because you love what you do, or rather you enjoy hospitality. Uh, because there are some times where, um, how may I say it, the profit sheet doesn't look as, as good as it might do in other businesses. And the profit sheet looks rather uh, um, uh, much greater than in other businesses. It's, it's, it's a business that um, is fraught with so many problems and with so many pressures, the, the, the cost of staff, the cost of ingredients, the cost of rent and so on of fixed um, items. Um, and they are always on the increase with a, a price ceiling on the, on the product being sold. So it, it does create problems. Um, and yeah, there are always those, those types of pressures within, in the business. Um, and 
we struggle through them, um, sometimes by not increasing prices, sometimes by having to increase prices. Um, it's it, it, it's balance that you have to try and strike, strike really. And something that I think is not uh, is undeniable is that inflation and all these things, the, the supply chain is the cost of goods, uh, wages have gone up. Um, how do you, and, and at some point, you need to raise your prices, as you've mentioned there. Um, how mm. how do you guys go through that process of deciding? Because it sounds like it's a, for you, it's a bit of a reluctant practice to raise prices. So talk to us a little bit about that decision-making process between you and your partner in terms of, okay, it's no longer feasible. Um, as it is, this is such a knife's edge business. We need to start raising prices. I'm the one that likes to raise the prices. My partners are more clever <laughs> than me. Um, uh, I think, you know, you, you look at the, the, the methods, you look at the way that you can make things more efficient. Um, sometimes you have to simplify things in some restaurants and other times you just fit your teeth and say, put it on. Now, I guess as uh, we come to the close of this conversation, uh, David, um, there are two particular areas I want to kind of touch on. One is uh, menu development. I know you earlier you said you don't, uh, you're, you're not one to go into trends and uh, keep up with and do all those different things. Um, but how do you but, think about but, uh, menu development? I change the menu all the time. Mm. Um, I change the recipes all the time. I drive my cooks insane <laughs> uh, with my food thing. Um, uh, and, you know, I'm going back into work later today to do some changes. Um, and uh, 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 there's a risk we can never be perfect. Mm. But I strive towards trying to make it as best as I can. It means it's a constant evolution. So our menus change, um, particularly the ones in Bangkok, change incessantly. And what what goes into that thought process, right? Because it's essentially it's R&D processing for you. It's in a constant research and development and how we tweak the recipes and how we make them better. Um, could you give us an insight into, I guess, how that comes about? Is it, uh, you know, something you tasted and you're like, oh, this could work well with this menu item? Or is it, you know, in the shower and you're like, oh, wait, we should try this? Really in the shower, <laughs> I must say. Um, really. But... Uh, it, 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 I'll come across an idea. I'll come across an old recipe. I do translations of old recipes. Um, something will hit me, and I'll try and develop it. Uh, often, what happens is I'll start the development, and then a, a few days afterwards, a better idea comes up, and then a few days after that, a better idea comes up. Um, so it means a constant change of ideas, um, and sometimes. I'll hold back on them, depending on where I am, and deliver them all in a finished product as much as it can be um, to some restaurants. And others, the ones in Bangkok, get the day-to-day changes. Uh, the ones that you are personally at get so to, to to feel the full brunt of mm. the R&D process. Yes, the poor, poor kids. <laughs> um, last question, uh, David, before we uh, go into the 10.30am news bulletin. Um, Given your experience, uh, you've mentioned it, 30 years in the business, uh, in cooking, in, in the restaurant, um, what advice would you give to aspiring chefs who are looking to venture in the restaurant business, particularly given the ups and downs and the knives and the, the razor-thin margins in this business and 
and rampant and oftentimes they're closing down the restaurants. What advice would you give them? Two things, don't do it. <laughs> but if you must, uh, ignore everybody's, everybody's advice, um, except for your financial partners and just don't for it. Because if you've been bitten by the hospitality bug, you might as well try it because otherwise you'll always have that agonizing thought, what if? Um, it is one of the most thrilling careers, um, how may I say? I've been very fortunate in that I've loved what I've done. It's hurt. I've had problems with it. I've sometimes hated it. But in the main, I've loved what I've done. Uh, and that's given me a great deal of pleasure, a sense of accomplishment and a, 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 a sense of satisfaction that's beyond money. I know one of those old-fashioned critters who thinks sometimes work is not just about money, but about the, the quality of products and the quality of of, ex, of execution. Um, that's as important. And being a cook, it's one of those rare jobs where you can have that sense of accomplishment that is way beyond money. David, on that note, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Folks, I've been speaking with David Thompson, a chef, author, and restaurateur. I've been listening to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kainasin. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Are you open for business? Register your company with BossBalay.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.